Hey, it's the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. As promised, our bowl preview special. Now, last year when Penn State was 7-5, and five, things were a little bit different. There were a lot of different scenarios that could go a lot of different ways. This year, kind of cut and dried. So what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little bit different, and I'm going to get the help of our awesome reporter who's been following all the bowl predictions, uh, Greg Pickle. He's coming up on the BWI Daily Edition. BWI Daily Edition, here is the man himself, Greg Pickle. Uh, Greg, welcome to the show. I know that this is going to be a little bit different than last year, but honestly, last year our bowl show was one of my favorite shows we did all year. So I'm glad you're back to do this with me. And, uh, you know, you've been following along with all these things, so can you give us the broad overview of how this is kind of, you've seen this develop over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, I think our good buddy Nate Bauer hit the nail on the head that it's just a little bit crazy, T. Frank. And when I say a little bit, I mean a lot. So uh, we've been tracking the bowl projections that, of course, national experts have been making for weeks now, actually months since really September. Uh, and that was more of an exercise to be able to call up those projections from earlier in the year and get a sense for how things have changed over the course of the last, uh, you know, more, more or less six weeks uh, as the season really came into focus around the middle of October. And, T. Frank, you know, no one was really projecting Penn State to go to a New Year's Six game back before the season began. Many did not see Penn State winning 10 games as the Lions did in the regular season. So it goes without saying that a team that many may have slotted for the Citrus Bowl or whatever they're calling the Outback Bowl these days or something along those lines uh, quickly changed around mid-October. And of course, it's ping pong back and forth following the loss to Ohio State and then the perfect uh, November that Penn State had to really set itself up inside the top 10, of course, number eight in the penultimate uh, college football playoff top 25 rankings that were released on Tuesday. So uh, at this point, we don't have as many options to discuss as last year. You're right, but we still have some intrigue heading into what will be a fun conference championship Saturday and then, of course, Selection Sunday. So what we're going to do today, because uh, Greg set it up perfectly, is I'm going to ask him one more question, then I'll explain how we're going to set up the show so that you can kind of follow along and understand what's going on. First off, based on where Penn State is right now, is this kind of where they're going to be because conference champions are all going to determine what's ahead of them, or do they have a chance to maybe move up one more or two more slots if the right teams lose this coming weekend? Yeah, I think it really depends on a couple of factors. One being, of course, what does Utah do against USC in the uh, Pac-12 title game? Because Utah currently sits uh, right in the same area as Penn State. But if they would beat uh, USC for the second time this season, and, and that could move them ahead of Penn State potentially. But I think that, and, and we'll get into it then, but you're looking at a team there that could be a Rose Bowl uh, participant depending on what happens with USC. So I think Penn State's probably locked in at this point. I think you would need some real craziness during conference championship weekend to move them out of eight or up or down. But again, I think Utah's one team to watch in that scenario. But ultimately, these rankings look to be about set if things chalk out, and I'm predicting that they will chalk out i wouldn't be surprised if we get maybe one or two surprises uh in some of the maybe the aac title game or something like that but you know i as terms as i have as how i look at the big 12 and the big uh big 10 and of course the pac 12 i see this chalking out this weekend and things being set as they are now so with that said we are going to look at the two likely games that penn state has that they could go to uh in the postseason uh, the Rose Bowl, which is everyone, every Penn State fan and every Penn State media member is crossing their fingers to go to California. 
and then the Cotton Bowl. So what we're going to do is now that you know the bowls, and you probably knew that already, we are going to go and we're going to check out the teams that they might play, the most likely teams. We've broken it down into the four most likely places. So let's just get to it. Let's talk about the, the place that everybody wants to go, and that is the Rose Bowl. This is the game that Penn State has not been to since 2016. Greg, uh, give us the scenarios of how Penn State gets to Pasadena this uh, this new year. Yeah, so there's really two ways Penn State can get there, and both of them are going to require uh, help, I guess you could say, from Ohio State, and of course, I guess Michigan as well. So, if, and Utah's in that mix too. So, the key is here, one of two things. One being that Michigan, of course, gets into the college football playoff, which they're a big favorite over Purdue. I don't think anyone expects them to lose to the Boilermakers. So I do think Purdue can make that game close. I think they do some things, T. Frank, like what we saw them do to Penn State. They can give Michigan some problems. So I think I might take the points there, but I think Michigan wins. So let's say they are in the college football playoff. Well, now we got to see what happens with USC. Because if USC wins against Utah, as we mentioned, in the Pac-12 title game, they are in. And Ohio State is out. Uh, if USC loses, Ohio State could jump into the top four, which would clearly give Penn State the pass to the Rose Bowl. There'd be no conversation to be had there. However, if Ohio State does not make the playoff, well, then the bowl selection committee, or the college football playoff selection committee, rather, and all these different bowl committees are going to have some choices to make because there's a growing narrative uh, that started really over the weekend with some folks in the uh, you know Penn State media ecosystem, and then it extended to uh, some national folks on Monday, though no one picked Penn State in their bowl projections to go to the Rose Bowl. But, you know, I saw Ralph Russo from the Associated Press, Kirk Herbstreet on the college football playoff show on ESPN. Uh, there's this growing kind of buzz that the selection committee and the bowls that make up the New Year Six might decide that since Ohio State's been to the Rose Bowl so frequently, including last year, that their fans may not want to travel there. And because of that, it might make more sense to send them to the Orange Bowl and then send Penn State to the Rose Bowl. So I know that's a lot of kind of leaping around logic and there's a lot of moving pieces there, but it really just comes. It's as simple. Uh, if Ohio State does not make the playoff, then the committee must decide if it wants to send Ohio State as the highest ranked non big non playoff Big Ten team to Pasadena again for the fourth, I think it's fourth time in five years. It would definitely be uh, two years in a row. Or does it want to send them to the Orange Bowl, which of course has a tie-in uh, with the Big Ten, and then that would make Penn State the highest remaining non-playoff Big Ten team in the rankings, and that would send them to Pasadena. So, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. If you read what I wrote at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com on Sunday and also Monday morning, uh, I wasn't buying this at all, T. Frank. I really wasn't. Okay. My level of bought in is still not super, super high, but it's higher than it was. I guess I would, I can boil it down to this. Sunday and Monday, I was willing to book a flight to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl. Uh, and as, I, as we talk about this here on Wednesday, I don't have that level of certainty anymore about how this is going to play out. So we'll see. I mean, the path is obviously there. It just comes down to what really I think what the Rose Bowl wants, what the Orange Bowl wants. Uh, keep in mind the selection committee is in charge of slotting these games, but there's a lot, a lot of input from a whole bunch of different people. So the goal is, of course, twofold. The biggest television rating you can get and yep. the most fans on site you can get. And yeah. so tradition be damned. Uh, right. Rules exactly. be damned. It's it's a TV show. And we're talking about something steeped in. The funny thing is the Rose Bowl is the one that seems to nail it in terms of steeped in tradition, making for a good TV show. The rest of these bowls are saying we're steeped in tradition. And then kind of that's true. 
Um, so this is kind of where you find yourself in, in this particular process. So let's say it plays out where Penn State does make the, uh, the Rose Bowl. Their likely teams are uh, USC if they just decide that Penn State's going to the Rose Bowl, right? So there is an opportunity for Penn State to go to the Rose Bowl against USC. Is that fair or unfair to say? Uh, yeah, so it just really comes down to this. Does USC make the playoff or not? I mean, if Utah right. beats USC, and you know, that's kind of the tricky thing about all this. So obviously USC is higher in the rankings and it would still only have – uh, you know, it would still have those two losses to Utah if it loses to Utah. So you could make the case that Utah would jump over USC and be the pack, obviously be the Pac-12 champion and also the Rose Bowl participant. They're not going to make the playoffs at this point. So is there a way Penn State could play USC? Yes. Uh, do I think it's likely? No. I mean, I think it would take so, a lot of moving, a lot of mountain moving at this point. Like they would have to get, you know, uh, lose a very close game to Utah, and that would make the selection committee say, okay, uh, you know, they have really two tight losses against them, but they're the better team, so we're going to leave them higher up in the rankings. That's really the only way I can see that working. And, and again, uh, you know, that would be a lot of – a lot of logic would have to be put into uh, the kind of the mental gymnastics of how all that would play out. The simplest solution, yeah. I think, is, you know, for Penn State in the, in the – uh, in the Rose Bowl would be obviously Utah's an option uh, if yep. win or lose. And then, you know, but Washington's right on their heels. So if they get blown up by USC, that's not out of the question. But those are your three Pac-12 possibilities to play the Big Ten. There's nobody else coming into the picture. So let's talk about Utah then. Let's talk about that team and what Penn State might face, a team that went to the Rose Bowl last year. Uh, and no one seems to mind about that. Right. <laughs> that no, that's a great point, Bowl. D. Frank. That's a great point. And now, look, I realize it is easier for Utah fans to travel to Pasadena. I mean, so I think that is in play. But no, you know, I thought about that, too, is that there's no one no one beating that drum at this point, which is interesting. But, uh, you know, I, I think probably, again, travel's a part of it. Utah, I don't. I'd have to go back and look, and I might be speaking out of turn here. I don't believe they have a great Rose Bowl history, or if they do, it certainly isn't to the level Ohio State. No, has. so they they joined the Pac-12, I think, like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, something like that. Um, so I think last year was their first time in the Rose Bowl. Uh, so that that would this is their second time if yeah. they were able to go. And that would be, you know, obviously it's close. They have a, a fan base that travels pretty well. And it is technically within driving distance of Salt Lake City, although it is a grind from what I was told. Um, so I'm sure. that, let's talk about let's talk about the Utes. Uh, what do you know about Utah? How do you want to set the this team up for if Penn State does get in the Rose Bowl? This is the most likely team that they'll face. Yeah. So you know, again, I think that the question that everyone is going to have, and it relates to both this Pac-12 title game this weekend, but also the potential Rose Bowl matchup, is Cam Rising healthy? Is he healthy enough to play this weekend? And then, of course, we're talking about Utah's very good quarterback who is in the Heisman Trophy conversation for a brief period of time. Uh, is he healthy enough to play? And then does he want to play in a bowl game, no matter what bowl game it is? Or will he be healthy enough to play in a bowl game, no matter what game it is? Because, Steve Frank, I think you would agree uh, this matchup loses some luster if you don't have him on the field. I mean, he's a guy that can make the kind of plays that would help create, uh, you know, with Penn State obviously having a an offense that can make explosive plays in the run game in particular. Uh, Rizzing's a guy that with the way, the way that Utah passes the ball, the way he plays, I mean, you can envision they need him. They, yeah, they it, absolutely. Absolutely. Need him. Uh, yeah. So he's he's an interesting football player. He is um, the quintessential game manager 
in terms of the positive end of those things. Yeah. Sometimes he makes throws. So for those of you that know, and, and you've, if you've watched the show before, you know that my wife is a University of Utah alum. We actually watch a good bit of Utah football. Cam Rise, it, uh, Utah in general, is the Iowa of the Pac-12. Uh, strong running game. Tight ends are heavily involved. The quarterback is asked to not make mistakes and mitigate damage and operate the offense, and then they have a tenacious defense. So yeah. without Cam rising, they really have an incomplete football team. They don't really have anything to fall back on, and uh, they barely got by. I think it was Washington State without yeah. him uh, earlier this year, so that that's a huge thing. And you're right, in the Pac-12 uh, championship game, you know that's a pretty big matchup between those two and making sure everyone's healthy for that game. Yes. Yeah, it is. And I mean, that's and that's what's hard about bowl season, T. Frank. And that's why when we're talking about setting up the best possible fan travel, the best possible television uh, ratings game, there's a lot of layers to peel back here. This is why I think Nate gets so frustrated with the bowl projections and everything else. For those of you that listen to this show, he went on a fun rant. Uh, what? The, I think it was two Mondays ago uh, or was it yeah. this past Monday. I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah, you want to go check that out at, uh, wherever you get your podcast or YouTube.com slash Blue White Illustrated. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot to figure out here, T. Frank. So let's just say uh, he gets hurt in the Pac-12 title game or it becomes clear before Sunday that he's not going to play in a bowl game. Well, does that change how the selection committee views Utah in terms of going to the the Rose Bowl? Because, you know, that, that obviously takes a lot of luster off any matchup, but certainly one against Penn State. So that and then, you, you know, so you have Washington maybe waiting in the wings and all that. So, I mean, there's just a lot of layers to peel back here. And what we think we know going into the weekend, I know this Penn State is playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. But yeah. as we've been talking about here, and if it's not become clear after about 15 minutes yet, it should, uh, who they're going to play and where they're going to play, there are a ton of factors still to get figured yeah. out. And that's what we're we're cutting through that, and we're just kind of previewing the most likely teams uh, and giving you a thumbnail scouting opinion and report on kind of what to expect uh, in these different scenarios. Uh, a couple other things that I find interesting about Utah. They are very similar this year to Penn State in terms of the way that these two teams operate. Here's an example. Dalton Kincaid is their tight end. One of the best tight ends in America. 850 yards, eight touchdowns. He's their leading receiver. He's their pretty much their only receiver. They came into this year with two tight ends, Brent Keithy and Dalton Kincaid, as the lead uh, receivers in their team. If that sounds a lot like Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, it is. So very similar teams in terms of their offensive style this year. Defensively, um, I think the matchup of this game would be Manny Diaz versus Morgan Scally as yeah. the defensive coordinators because uh, US, or, I'm sorry, uh, Utah puts a lot of DBs in the NFL. So two teams that have really good uh, defensive backs. Clark Phillips III has six interceptions this year. He is questionable, I believe, for the uh, Pac-12 championship game if he can play. Um, and then kind of previewing that matchup back in October, on October 15th, Utah beat U, uh, USC on the final play of the game. They went for two to win it, and they were able to get the two-point conversion to win that game. Uh, kind of the opposite of what happened to them in Florida in week one. They have three running backs, sorry, four running backs that have over 50 carries. So I'm not kidding when I say they run the ball and that's it, and then you throw in Cam Rising on top of that. Um, they They have a very similar football team. So I think in terms of 
fun games, this would be yeah. more of a defensive matchup. So if right. you could find, if you could find a different team uh, than one that's going to punch you in the face repeatedly until somebody wins, like it is going to be, it would be a bare knuckle brawl between these two. Yes. And I think that it would be one though that Penn State matches up well with because I think they could put some pressure on that Utah offense with yeah. with what they do defensively. Um, but have you seen anything of Washington this year? What's your opinion on them if they were to be a team that Penn State saw in the Rose Bowl? Yeah, you know, I haven't dug in on them too much, T. Frank, just because of the way the uh, college football playoff ranking shook out yesterday. I actually kind of talked myself into them a little bit while we were talking here on the air, uh, which is always a good way to go into a podcast. But that is what it is. Um, so hey, well, I ha I had I had a whole stack of notes on USC, and then I realized when we were talking, there's no way they're playing USC. They're in the playoff or they're not. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, and so, I mean, again, there might be a small, tiny, teeny, tiny chance, and I would love to see that matchup. That would be a lot of fun, but it's a very small chance. But, no, Washington's been hot. I mean, look, they just beat Oregon and Oregon State back-to-back -back weeks. Oregon, obviously, uh, the brakes are falling off there a little bit with the Ducks. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're a fascinating uh, Pac-12 team just in the sense that, you know, when you look at what they do, it's, you know, Penn State fans are familiar with it because they saw yep. it in the – uh, Fiesta Bowl only a few years ago. I mean, this is not, you know, they have not necessarily overhauled what they do, uh, but the key with them is now they throw the ball more. They have Michael Penix Jr., the former Indiana quarterback. Penn State fans yep. remember him well. Uh, and he has, I was pulling it up here because I didn't want to misquote. I thought I was right on this. Yeah, 4,354 passing yards. I mean, he has had a tremendous season, 29 to 7 touchdown to interception ratio. That would be a yep. fun game uh, to watch, T. Frank. You know, they don't have a, a rusher over 1,000 yards, but they have two receivers over 1,000 yards. So that would be a game where you're going to see the strength of Penn State's defense, its secondary, match yep. up against the strength of Washington's offense, which is throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. So, yeah. you know, that could be fun, too, depending on how all, all the opt-outs and all that kind of stuff works. That could be a pretty fun matchup, too. Yeah, there is a uh, there is the Indiana connection, not only with Michael Penix, but I believe Ryan Grubb was at Indiana yes. as well. Yep. So uh, it's not an unfamiliar task for them to play that offense and that quarterback. And it would be fascinating to see Michael Penix Jr. healthy again against Penn State because, you know, last year, when Indiana played Penn State at, at home and he was knocked out of the game due to injury. There's just a lot of interesting storylines with Washington and how that one would play out. So um, let's move on to the next bowl. And I think that you and I agree this is the more likely of the bowls. And I don't know that Penn State fans are going to be super happy about it, but it is the Cotton Bowl. Now, the Cotton Bowl is the bowl that Penn State went to back in 2019. How does this bowl work, Greg? Well, so it's an at-large bowl, of course. So the group of five champion, which that's going to be either Tulane or UCF, that game for the AAC title is going to be determined on Saturday. I think that game is one of the early ones at noon, but you want to check the, the TV guide for that. But, I mean, right now that's where Penn State's projected to go. And if the College Football Playoff Selection Committee and the bowls do not decide to do what we just spent, you know, about 20 minutes talking about and move Penn State ahead of Ohio State in terms of going to the Rose Bowl, Penn State will be going back to the Cotton Bowl for the first time since 2019 when it played a very good game and beat Memphis. So, yeah, this is the one that fans don't get as excited for. There's two reasons for that. Number one, the weather's probably not going to be as nice in Dallas as it will be in California. But yeah. the opponent is kind of a bummer. A lot of fans look at it as a no-win situation. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but I certainly get the line of thinking that if you lose to Tulane or to the UCF, everyone's going to say, how in the world did you lose to a group of five AAC team? 
And if you blow them out or if you win, everyone just shrugs and says, well, yeah, you were supposed to. So I get that line of thought. But I think there's so much value in recruiting and in program building to go to one of these New Year's Six games to have your team experience it that any of them are good to go to. Are some more enticing or exciting than others? Yes. But look around this Penn State roster. How many key contributors are going to be on the field for Penn State in 2024 when hopefully the playoff expands? And then all these New Year's Six experiences are going to be what the playoff teams experience should they get out of their uh, early matchup. So, right. I mean, you want guys to know what it's like to be in these environments, especially your younger guys. And I think that, you know, anytime you can parlay that experience with, again, the recruiting bump you can get from winning a New Year's Six game, being a top 10, top six team, whatever it might Is be. Is it winning? Is it winning or is it being in the game? Because this is something we talked about earlier this week, yeah. I think on the live show, and um, or at least on the post-game show when I was talking with Tom Hannafin uh, post the Michigan State win when all of this started being crystallized after that, after it was officially 10-2, and two, is is it going to the game or is it winning the game? Because you're not going to remember anything about the game and you're just going to go and do what I did when I was researching is look for historical context of, well, they won that game. They didn't lose. You go back and you talk about the USC game against, you know, in the Rose Bowl, that was an iconic game. And I think that Penn State playing well in that game matters, but they didn't win it. Like in 15 years, I don't know if we're going to be remembering the fact that they uh, played a great game. It would be that USC won that game. Um, so is it just going to the game or is it winning the game? So there's a recruiting bump I think you get just going and being on that national stage. I mean, I'm hard-pressed to believe that there's not some little sliver, T. Frank, of reason that K. Trinown and Nick Singleton are here because they may have watched Saquon Barkley run and run and run and run in that game. So I think you probably – uh, you get a little bit of credit for what you put on film. Now, if you put bad plays on film, obviously it's a different story. But, you know, I think you do get some recruiting bump and credit for just going to the game. But, of course, when you win it and you you keep your spot in the rankings and everything else, uh, that obviously is going to provide you with a much bigger boost than uh, just simply going and losing. So, you know, again, I think that's why some people look at the Cotton Bowl the way they do because, again, you're expected to win. And yep. if you don't, uh, it's not going to be used against you in recruiting, but it's certainly not going to not going to give you a jumping off point to that January run to the new sign or the old signing day, rather. And also all the recruiting you do on 2024, 2025 and beyond guys in January. So I think that, yeah, if you win that game, then you, you know, you're on national TV, you win that game, whether it's against Tulane or UCF or somebody in the Rose Bowl, what have you. I think you certainly get more of a bump. But ultimately, mm-hmm. I think just being there on that stage, especially if you can put some big plays together that showcase for recruits and for transfer portal players what yeah. they could do in your offense and or defense, I think goes a long way toward helping uh, build future classes. Does it... Um in terms of the bowl you go to does is the cotton bowl a cutoff for guys not opting out do you think because that's the other part of this is what's the team going to look like in terms of health is olufashinu going to be back at that point um and then does joey porter jr play does tig brown play you feel like the rose bowl for sure it's a stronger likelihood of somebody saying no i want to play in one of the most iconic bowl games does the cotton bowl give you that same uh at least a level, maybe not the same, but on the same level of, yeah, they'll want to play in a New Year's Six Bowl. 
I think this is going to be the year we learn that. And I hate to kind of uh, edge my way out of the question like that. But, you know, I, there's been a lot of talk about, well, you know, Penn State opt out this, opt out that, didn't have this, that. And, and using the 2019 Cotton Bowl as an example, I don't really think you can. I think the conversation, T. Frank, has changed drastically around opt outs and it being more acceptable and more common today than it was mm-hmm. in 2019 when Penn State was uh, playing Memphis in Jerry World. So, yeah, I think we're going to learn that answer this year. I mean, I, I look, uh, are you going to have a couple? Probably. I, you know, it wouldn't shock me, but it also wouldn't shock me if all those guys decided to play. I mean, again, it's a New Year's Six Bowl. It's one last chance to play with your teammates. Now, uh, you know, we remember even back to the Fiesta Bowl, Saquon Barkley clearly on a pitch count that day. There's no doubt about that. And, it would not surprise me to see a guy like Joey Porter Jr., who appears to be a uh, first or early second round pick, opt out at the same time. It would not surprise me. And in fact, it might be favored uh, if you were putting betting odds on this, that he would probably play, but play on a pitch count. You know, maybe play the first couple series, maybe play a little bit in the fourth quarter if it's close, what have you. But, you know, I, I can I think that is becoming more the norm for a lot of guys now look some some will just opt out of new year six games no matter what but it seems to me that a lot of guys are deciding to stay and play but they're doing so in a very limited capacity so it kind of the best world for everyone where you know the player can say hey look i gave you guys my all i stayed through it all i was here for the practice i was here with the team i played in the game and then you can say Thank you for all of that, but we'll make sure you don't play so much that you, you know, that you hurt getting yourself. Injured. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's an interesting thing uh, considering the uh, way the season ended as well. You know, because last year there were a lot of bowl opt outs and you're going, right. you're playing Arkansas in a bowl game. This is a little bit different. This team is 10 and two. You feel like there's a different, you know, I hate the word vibe. But yeah, there's this team is vibing a little bit different than the one last year, and right. that might Big provide time. you with that opportunity. So let's talk about uh, the potential uh, candidates to Lane. Interesting, some research I did on them, and this is mostly based on stats. Again, not any video stuff, just an early pre- preliminary thing. Michael Pratt, the two-lane quarterback, 24 touchdowns, four interceptions, but one of the things, you know, pretty good pocket passer, it seems. Yeah. Um, 23% of his pressures result in a sack according to pff so if you're asking me uh what's a matchup that penn state could take advantage of a dude that gets sacked a lot against a team that likes to get a lot of sacks that's a pretty good jumping off point did you find anything interesting in uh what you saw or what you know so reach researching this team for their potential matchup yeah i mean it's hard to put too much like i don't want to overstate what i've seen from them on a little bit i've got to watch them because again it's good it would be a drastic step up in competition to face penn state there's right. no doubt right, right. about that but i mean this offense can go a little bit and so i think that is really what jumps out to me and i think penn state could score some points against the tulane defense there's no doubt about that so you know i but i would be interested to see how that offense functions when Again, much like we talked about with Washington and much like we spent a lot of the season talking about T Frank outside of Ohio State and Michigan, when Penn State has got into a situation where and Michigan doesn't even really apply to this either, though I guess it does a little bit. But, you know, when you are in a Penn State finds itself in a place where the other team can't really run and wants to throw and it is throwing into the strength of Penn State's defense, uh, there's not many teams that have succeeded in sustaining an offense good enough to beat Penn State uh, yeah. at its own, you know, at, at that game. So to me, I think that would be the Tulane uh, Green Wave's biggest problem is that, 
they are going to want to do that, throw the ball, and Penn State is well-equipped to stop it, both, as you mentioned, with the pass rush. And, you know, it's funny. It wasn't all that long ago, T. Frank, that we were sitting around talking about the fact that and asking James Franklin about the fact that Penn State, you know, where are the sacks? Where are the sacks? Penn right. State doesn't have enough sacks. Penn State, uh, you know, was a team that was supposed to get more sacks going into the season. And then I'm pretty sure they finished with the lead in the Big Ten in sacks. I didn't actually go back and check that. They went into the regular season finale with that lead. So They had, I think I was looking this up, they had 35, which I believe is top 15 in, in the nation in terms of total sacks. The, yeah, 37 the they finished with. So, yeah, yeah 37. So number one in the Big Ten, Michigan had 32, as did Ohio State. So it's funny that we were talk- we spent so much time talking about that, and uh, they end up leading the Big Ten, and they're one of the better teams in the country in that regard. So, you know, yeah. ultimately I think it'd be a very good matchup for Penn State. But, again, I don't want to get too over the top with it because Penn State, a 10-2 and Big Ten team, should be able to have a good matchup yeah. against a Power Five – or, I'm sorry, Group of Five champion, whether it's Tulane or UCF. Uh a couple other things on Tulane that I found interesting. Tajay Spears is the entire offense. He has 14 runs of over 15 yards. So 14 explosive runs, 500 yards on big plays. And he also leads the team in rece- like as one of the team leaders in receptions with 11 and, uh, 11 and a half yards per reception as well. So st- if it seems like, at least looking at the numbers, stopping Tajay Spears is the answer to stopping Tulane. Um, good pass blocking unit, but again, like you said, stepping up in, in competition, all these things are going to be adjusted for playing against Penn State. Uh, they play a nickel defense, as a lot of group of five teams do, and uh, seems like they've got a, they're in the championship game, a well-rounded unit. UCF, John Reese Plumley, uh, 900 yards rushing on the season, I believe. So another team that wants to run the ball, probably the most dual-threat quarterback Penn State would see. Um, 13 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, boomer bust thrower. So another interesting uh, matchup for the Nittany Lions in terms of taking the ball away, but also stopping the run. Something I found interesting, Greg, is since Penn State has moved uh, Abdul Carter to the spy position, they've allowed 69, I believe, rushing yards on scrambles so they've shut down other teams ability to run the football with the quarterback and then of course in regular down and distance situations during zone reads and things like that the defense has done a great job so playing a, a, a athletic quarterback which has been a problem for Penn State over the years in terms of contain it seems like they found a, a good solution for that with an athletic freak just letting him run guys down in the open right. space so those are kind of the teams that Penn State would see. We gave you four options during bowl season. Any last thoughts on UCF or the bowls in general, Greg? Yeah, I kind of would like to see Gus Malzahn and James Franklin match up. That would be a little interesting, I think. So we'll see. Uh, that I get. I want to correct one thing I said. The AAC title game is at 4 p.m. on Saturday, not at okay. noon, and it's on ABC. So uh, if you're curious to look around and see what could happen with Penn State, you're going to want to keep a close eye on the Pac-12 championship game, of course. The Big Ten title game at night. I actually think they're yeah they're side by side at night, and then of course mm-hmm. the AAC title during the game. But no, I would just say this: um, be patient with how this all works out, and expect the unexpected. Because I'm not going to be shocked, T. Frank, if we wake up Sunday morning and all the bowl projections say cotton, and then it's rose. I'm also not going to be surprised if we wake up <laughs> Sunday morning and they all say rose and then it's cotton. So I think this is just going to be one of those ones where I think last year we probably 
came to a consensus eventually on Sunday about the Outback Bowl. And that'll happen this year, too. But I'm not sure how early in the day that's going to happen. We'll have to wait and see how things play out. Yeah, one of the things we've talked about over the last couple of shows as well is that because Penn State has such a strong track record of traveling to games and they have such a good TV brand, if you look up the the top games each week, Penn State is either one or in the top five. You know, for key matchups, they're, they're the number one game, but then other games, they're, they're a top spot as well. So they travel well, they go well on TV. So for this whole TV show that they're building, Penn State is a great pl- per, a team to put in one of those spots. So... If there's a chance that they're going to go to a better bowl, they're going to go to the better bowl. I, I think that's been kind of proven last year yeah. when they were not a great team and they got to the best possible bowl they could because right. they were Penn State. Um, that'll do it for the BWI Daily Edition. Thank you, Greg, for all your insight, your information, and for keeping us on track with the facts here so that I could then go and play in La La Land and talk about potential matchups and who this and who that. So I appreciate you keeping the anchor for us as we could have floated away with this show so that'll do it it for the always good to be on with you t frank always good buddy uh that'll do it for the bwi daily edition make sure you subscribe to us here on youtube and wherever you get your podcasts we'll be back tomorrow with more and uh some busy 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 uh days coming up here in december as the recruiting period is heating up so make sure you subscribe to bluewhiteillustrated.com as well so you don't miss any of that i'm playing this music for the out Because I like this music. This is some good stuff. We'll talk to you tomorrow.